Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Jeremy Fisk and as always I am joined by Chapin Hemingway and Lee Carlo. Today we are going to be reviewing Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. The entire podcast will be about Scorsese's The Irishman. It's over. They're all gone. Frank, it's time. It's time you say what happened. <sighs> Frank, I want you to meet my cousin, Russell Buffalino. Better watch. There's a lot of tough guys around here. Did he tell you? You're not afraid of tough guys, are you? Yeah. I didn't think so. I was one of a thousand working stiffs. Until I wasn't no more. You got a good friend here. You don't know how good a friend you got. Russell, he took a shine to me right away. After a while, he started giving me little things to do. I know you read a lot of things about me. I just want to say I'm sorry. I know I wasn't a good dad. I know that. I know that. I was just trying to, to protect all of you. All right, guys. So it's finally here. I think it was our collective most anticipated film of the year. It's uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, starring the greats uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, Ray Romano, all the classics. <laughs> Um, but really, I mean, that saying those names, it's kind of a murderer's row of gangster movie actors a lot paired with one of the most iconic of all time gangster movie directors. And I know how hugely influenced we are by Scorsese and in particular his gangster pictures. I mean, looking back on it all... A lot of his, even, you know, Raging Bull had touches of it between Mean Streets and, of course, Goodfellas, Casino. I mean, he didn't invent the genre, but he is highly influential of the genre. And, you know, obviously every one of these actors, either with Scorsese famously or on their own, have also been hugely influential uh, in this genre. Uh, and as I watch this movie, I, you know, it's just so painfully obvious that, you know, Scorsese is dealing with his own mortality. And he is, you know, he's bringing along, you know, Pesci and De Niro and Pacino and Keitel, who are all actors getting older. Um, but it, it, it I sort of realize that not only is he in this film dealing with his own, you know, sense of death and life and what it all means, but also he's essentially making a movie that is, he's sort of putting to rest his own genre in front of us. It's like it, it's essentially watching a funeral to a Scorsese mob movie. 
which is really kind of in its own way sad um, because of just how influential and how important he he was or is as a filmmaker to us. And then, like, I can't remember another time a filmmaker has sort of laid it all out there like this, saying, hey, this is, this is the culmination of my work. Um, and I guess my simple question to you guys is just watching that, knowing that this is, in a way, sort of the death of the Scorsese mobster picture, how does that make you feel? Um, I, I think it really added some depth for me um, in terms of how I appreciated the movie. Yeah, Did, I think... Was there well, some finality to it for you guys? Was there, you know, were you like, wow, I'm never going to get to experience this again? See, I, I kind of... I don't know. I think it's a good observation, and I and I like the question, Jeremy. But I I think I purposely went into this movie and have even since been thinking about this movie in a way that I've been trying to avoid, like Scorsese's resume and these guys' resumes within the genre. It's nearly and impossible. Everything it in this is, movie of course, it is, is about. But, uh, of course, it is. But like, it is impossible. But. If I have uh, with everything I've seen with this movie, reviews, uh, uh, speculation, everything, if I have to see one more time or hear one more time somebody preface their their point with "this isn't Goodfellas," but uh, I'm just I'm I'm it's just annoying. Like this is its own movie. Let's stop trying. Let's stop adding caveats to it. Well, and, in my in my question, I'm not really comparing it to the content of his right, other movies. I know, I'm, uh, it's more about these guys understanding all, all of them collectively what their role in cinema history is and dealing with it within the context of this movie. R- right, and the reason, but the reason I bring that up is because because of that, I I've been I've been trying to put it upon myself to put this movie a little bit in a bubble. And so I didn't look at it at, or I tried to avoid looking at it as this, you know, final piece of, you know, cinema history with uh, when you take all these these uh, people into consideration. Now, you're right. Like when all is said and done, I think that is sort of a futile thing to do because this movie is built that way. It's meant to be, I think, a kind of, you know, signature at the end of a long, you know, story of Scorsese and De Niro and Pacino and so on and so forth. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys look at this movie as a culmination of Scorsese's career? Yes. In what way? I think I think in a way, yes. I, I don't know that it's a like to your original question, Jeremy. I I think it's nice to think of this as um, as a as, as a little bit more than than a movie, I think you, you mentioned Goodfellas. Um, we we all love that movie. I think that's probably his best film. But I don't know how much of Scorsese is in Goodfellas. Like I always feel like with him as a filmmaker, he he some things are incredibly personal to him. But it, 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 they're never really autobiographical. Like it's you know I imagine he probably saw some of these people growing up. But we all kind of know about. Um, Scorsese's childhood and he wasn't a gangster but this film in the sense that it's about 
somebody aging and getting older and he's got the added history of working with these people he's worked with for 40 or 50 years um, all in the same movie you know tackling a subject that he's you know done you know so historically long before there is a sense that this is a little bit like you know a, a, a reflection on aging um, for him well yeah I mean there's definitely that part of it I mean, on the surface, where it's literally about, um, you know, our own mortality, even as as humans. Um, but I think I think this film goes a little bit deeper with that. Uh, you know, dealing with Scorsese's Scorsese sort of coming to terms with the fact that he's not going to be doing this much longer, that he's not going to be doing this forever. And he, and I think there's part of it where he's like, was it, you know, not was it worth it, but, you know, did, did I always do the right thing in, in, in the context of all, all the films I've made? And I think hmm. that was obviously a struggle that De Niro's character um, has in this film as well. But we should talk. We should talk a little bit about the story itself. So basically, this is because there's a lot of loose threads in this in this story. Um, you know, De Niro's character basically uh, is a teamster that uh, somehow gets involved highly with, which was never really that clear how he got so high up into this the mafia sort of family but also well his his law his lawyer was his Russell lawyer Buffalino's that was brother. the connection but you know yeah. you never you just sort of scorsese just sort of assumed that people because of the and again here's to past relationships that the past relationship between pesci and de niro that would tie them sort of quickly as as friends right. um you know, and then there's also the part of Jimmy Hoffa, the the Teamster president, played by Al Pacino, who, um, you know, obviously most famously disappears later on in life. That we're not sure exactly what happened. This movie gives some answers, I guess. I don't know how truthful they may or may not be. Um, and all these sort of intersection, intersecting storylines between the Kennedys and the Bay of Pigs fiasco, and there's you know there's a lot going on, um, but it's really ultimately a story of relationships between these essentially three men. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think everything you're saying is correct that that movie com- it, it's got a lot of moving pieces and amidst them it tries to find a through line and I don't know guys I have to say I was really disappointed really yep I think it's I think we should just get into it here because we're beating around it um and just on that point, like I think part of the problem here, and it might have been a big part of the problem, is, is I, I felt like this movie didn't have a lot of heart. I felt like it. I didn't feel for these characters. I wasn't really buying their relationships. And maybe it has a little bit to do with what you were saying, Jeremy, that he's relying a little bit too much on history and us just accepting that De Niro and Pacino will work together. 
and um, you know, De Niro knows Pesci. I think maybe that's a piece, but I didn't care what happened to a lot of these characters, in particular Frank Sheeran, Robert De Niro. And I think they tried also with his daughter Peggy, played um, by Anna Paquin when she's older, and I forget the girl's name when she's younger. That didn't work, maybe because she had no lines, but there was no emotional connective tissue there between her and Hoffa, who have a... uh, sort of father-daughter relationship and Hoffa and Sheeran. And that was tough for me. It was really hard for me to get by a movie that is about aging and about reflection on life and the decisions and choices that we make. And when you don't like the character or don't care what happens to him, then you're not going to particularly care about the consequences of his choices. Yeah, I mean, I have two notes that sort of go along with what you said. So one of them I said, what's the motivation for these characters wanting to be part of this lifestyle? And in movies like Casino and Goodfellas, you get it like right from the beginning. It's sort of a glorified uh, thing to be part. Like Scorsese glorifies the mafia. There's the money, there's the power, there's you know the way he films it with the slow motion and the music and the 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 pop music and all that there's there's an allure to being in the mob and you understand henry hills um or why he wants to be a part of that life far back as i can remember i've wanted to be a gangster exactly so uh, you get it but with this there's not you know i feel like they touch on that stuff but i never understood that to me it didn't seem like what, there was enough motivation there for them to want to risk it all like they were doing. I mean, is it really just for friendship at the well, end of the and day? And just in terms of, of, you know, being an audience member here, and, you know, there's, like I said, there's so many reviews and and opinions of this movie that say, hey, this isn't Goodfellas. This is a much more patient, contemplative drama about a man aging and so on and so forth and okay fine that's true but then it's also not as good a movie as goodfellas the energy and like the uh, and excitement of goodfellas and the glorification of the mob is what draws the characters in that movie to it it's also what draws us as audience members to that movie and so sure this isn't goodfellas it's set it's tonally different but it's also not as good so i i dismiss this it's not good, fellas. It's a different movie, and it's so, so good because of it. Like, uh, you're entitled to your opinion, of course, but that's – it's such a dumb argument, I think. You know, what you're saying, Lee, is reminding me a little bit of um, The Wolf of Wall Street, which is like – you know, was sort of controversial and, and kind of outrageous because of, you know, the sheer dedication of Scorsese and I guess Leo and, and, and everybody else involved in the movie – of just like, you know, not really glorifying what these guys were doing, but certainly not criticizing it. Like just sort of representing, you know, just the outrageous behavior that these guys participated in in the 80s and 90s. And um, it was kind of unflinching. And what's interesting about that is that you, you feel both you know, maybe a little attracted to that behavior in some ways and then often put off by it. Like it's a different kind of, you know, it's, there's, there, there isn't, you're, you know, he doesn't sort of expose his hand, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to your, 
well, I guess this is a totally separate point, but I, uh, you did bring up the the daughter, the family relationship here, Lee. And I think that... I mean, that was all typical Scorsese. <laughs> that was a Scorsese... That's a pretty typical Scorsese trope of, of just the... Fu- the, the, the ch- the children who are affected, probably the people that are affected most by these men's decisions are always marginalized in his movies. And part of me, part of me blames him as a filmmaker for that. But part of me is like, well, you know, you're, it's not their story you're telling. Well, um, but here he well, almost well, seems well, like he knew that and doubled down on it and tried to incorporate it into he, the story. I, like I incorporate think he did the a fact that he does here. ignore them. I think he does See, a better job here than he did in, than he has in the past. I, I, feel I think like, he went halfway there. Like he said, let's, I let's agree. introduce this daughter and have her impact this movie. But don't in give some her way. any lines. But, and don't give her any lines and don't put, go too far to it. And it just as, I like as, as a result, it did, ended up being nothing. I thought he did uh, a good job with it. Also, you've got, Jimmy, you've got Jimmy Hoffa too. It's got, you've got, I mean, that's what I, I mean. guess and he's she one had of a, them, but he's also, he's also, you see him murdered i mean he's he's he i don't know i i i, I mean that th- that's something that we should talk about l- later on but i mean i it, if this movie was easy to follow or not but the, the was he doing illegal activity i don't know he, he wasn't a gangster in the sense the same sense that those other two that the other characters in the film were but you know he he falls victim to it um can you guys put your cards on the table since i have and we'll continue to... Well, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said, but I still never got bored during this three-plus-hour movie. Yep. I was oh, enthralled okay. with... I never got bored. I, um, and the the aging factor, not the the technology, which I'm sure we'll get to, but the actual... Yeah, let's table that. Yeah, we'll table that discussion, but we'll get to it. But the actual aging factor and the reflective factor worked for me on this movie. Um, even though I agree with you, Lee, I didn't think that I th- I think that that guy, that guy De Niro's character, um, Frank Sheeran. Yeah, no, no, I'm not trying to think of his name. Uh, like he <laughs> he didn't have a lot really to contemplate at the end. I mean, he had a lot to contemplate, but he, I mean, he clearly was in the wrong most of his life. So yep. the sympathy factor was tough, but the but Scorsese did a good job in sort of showing us what what it's like to get to that point in life where then you start questioning your decisions. And I can, think that's really important. Can I go back to so Lee, you 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 questioned I, I'm with you. The, the Goodfellas did this great job of like painting how one would fall into this lifestyle, right? Like a young impressionable kid sees all this stuff. He, you you see why he loves it, and then you see why people hate it, right? Like same with the what I was saying about Wolf of Wall Street. But with this film, I think he's going after something different. I think what he's what he's saying is like Frank Sheeran just like kind of fell into this stuff. And, like, I mean, he was a murderer, of course, you know, but, like, he was in the army and learned how to kill. And they, they recogn- and the mob recognized that he was someone who could kill people. <laughs> and he kind of just sort of fell into that because – and then he kind of, you know, made the mistake of uh, 
you know, to, attempting to burn down that, that facility that Harvey Keitel's character uh, owned a piece of. Um, and then he kind of fell out of, uh, he sort of fell into that mistake and then got out of it. And, um, and, and then he, you know, eventually are we not spoiling this i mean we like what do we well, do here look i think it i think whatever happens well, at the, he, what he up, does he at ends the up end involved he ends up involved in the disappearance of ha- of jimmy hoffa who he is tasked with sort of protecting at, at some right, at and one they point become it's not only that yeah they and, become really close yeah and so and, yes, and i guess i mean and he's, I don't think well, the movie do. does well with that, though. He's ordered to do something that he obviously doesn't want to do, and he's like uh, dreading to do. But but he does it because you know he's just like he's just along like that's just part of life, right? Like this is like this, you know he he got himself into it, so now he's got a like, this is this is the way it is, and that that I think it's it's. I think that's what Scorsese is saying. It's like sometimes like life just like comes at you and Yeah, I agree. Okay. Then all right. And I wrote something down about this because I think that's kind of what he was trying to get at with the the freeze frame subtitled bits about all the other characters and how they die. Um <laughs> Yeah. Which I didn't like that. First of all, this movie was fucking long enough. Like, take out all those little three second things and we've we're, we're on our way to a, a more manageable running time but what those are suggesting at least to me what i thought those were suggesting was that it all doesn't matter like here's here's this guy he got shot in the head here's this guy he dies of cancer here's this guy everybody likes him which was a funny little one and and then he just died so like that along with what you're saying suggests and then like frank sheeran just sort of fell into this and like had to do his job it is what it is uh, you know and that suggests one thing but then this idea of looking back on your life and reflecting and regret that's a whole nother thing like that one of them suggests that you know you don't have control over what happens the other one suggests that you do and that there's consequences for that so what thing is he trying to say i don't think he's sitting there regretting what he did i think he's sitting there almost wondering what happened uh, yeah, I agree. I I, I think yeah. those those little this guy was killed. You know, was killed in 1980, shot right. eight times in the head, or and especially like the, when he when he does the Joe Gallo hit. Like, I wonder when you contrast that with like with like the sort of pathetic way that he left the world at the at, in the last 20 minutes of the film. It's like maybe it was, maybe it's better to go out at a at a blaze of bullets, you know, like historically right. and not know what's coming, you know, like, um, I mean, it's an awful thing to say, of course, because like a Instead violent of death in a nursing is, home, lonely. Yeah, but but he's like now he's got all this time to reflect, and it's not it's it's not as classy as it was, and he's in this awful retirement home, and he doesn't really talk to his kids, and like maybe it was better to, you know, go with the rest of them in a in a blaze of glory and uh, so, or unexpectedly the same lesson at the end of goodfellas i mean really but right, why do you think henry hills and witness protection and, and he's, yeah but henry why do you think scorsese was so effective in this movie with the with the reflecting or reflecting on life or aging or getting old that whole thing i mean it's been done in a lot of movies like, i don't know that he was particularly effective with i do i think it was the most effective part of this movie and you know it's uh, it's what we're You're saying why was of, he why was he effective yeah no no yeah what did he do what did he do that was so 
that he did so well with that because I mean movies do that like somebody in old age reflecting back on life is not a, a new thing but I feel like it was particularly effective in this movie and really made me think about that uh, a- well, aspect of life in this movie well one thing I'll say and I know we're tabling the um, the technology stuff for a minute but I, I do think you know one of the reasons for doing the the de-aging thing is because the movie jumps around so much in time like you've got this road trip kind of anchoring the narrative of the movie for the first i don't know like 80 percent of it like the first three hours or two and a half hours um and he's using that as a little bit of a story convention but also he's reflecting back from the nursing home so there's a bunch of different, you know, like there's a yeah, there's whole a bunch, bunch of, of different flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Which reminded me of some movie, but I can't put my finger quite on what it was. But um, so you can kind of understand the need for, or, or at least his, his wanting to use that technology. But that, that being said, um, you know, you there, he sort of like starts that from the beginning, not only with like the obvious thing of the guy reflecting in the wheelchair on his life, which we've seen before done in movies, but then he's also reflecting from the road trip on different, you know, places where he's met, where, you know, where he first met, um, Joe Pesci's character, um, Russ Buffalino. Um, and yeah, that and, was a real important scene. <laughs> well, uh, I guess, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say to that. It's just that I, I think that that's particularly effective. And then when you sort of yank, that away from him. I, mean, I again, I feel like I've seen this movie where you catch up to the time, you catch up to the. It's like Forrest yeah, Gump, Forrest in a way, Gump, right? Yeah, yeah. Where you, where he's telling you the story, and then you catch up to him, and then you see and then like you the, go past. Yeah, and the and the and I, even even in Forrest Gump, which is a rather saccharine movie, um, at some at some points, like it 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 this the sheen sort of is worn off by that point like when it when you start you know seeing the story not from Forrest's eyes or not from um Robert De Niro's character's eyes like things start to get a little like sort of shitty <laughs> you know like it's you no longer have that sort of like um the sort Ca- of yeah i think n- like that niceness. calming perspective yeah yeah it's it's no. suddenly really it's real. It's no he's no longer reflecting. Yeah, and I think that was part of what made that so effective. I think that was part of it is, is just having that um, anchor throughout uh, of De Niro sort of narrating to us to the audience because there's nobody else there. Um, and then I think part of what made it so effective was the what we've touched on before is like knowing the actors knowing seeing these guys especially pesci who i honestly don't even know what he looks like uh which version of that is his (laughs) his reality (laughs) but you know it's he's a guy that's been retired for years that we haven't seen in a while um and you know here like here are some of you know our favorite actors are the tough guys of cinema you know, looking like, you know, they're not so tough anymore. I mean, I think of that one scene where De Niro has to stomp a guy and, um, like there's probably like four movies in which De Niro stomps people and he's probably the best at stomping a person in movies. Oh yeah. And, uh, he didn't look so good. Yeah. You leaned over to me. You're like his stomping days might be over. Yeah. And you could tell and it's and then that's part of it. And it's like, um, that chapter 
you know, is closing in front of us. And I think Scorsese did all that very much on purpose uh, to tell this story or to tell his own, you know, to tell his own story there. So I've heard some theories about, and and this may lead us in a little bit to the conversation on the de-aging, but I mean, it was, it was painfully obvious at times, but it was obvious that while they de-aged their faces, like you could still tell sometimes that these were like 80 year old guys walking around and and in particular an 80 year old guy stomping him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I I heard a take that said, like, yeah, you can see them, they move a little slower, even though they're supposed to be younger, and that is still fits nicely within the tone of the movie, and I almost barfed. I'm like, th- like it's just such an apologist take, and I feel like there's been such a sanctimonious response to this movie because it's Scorsese, and it's all these guys, and it is, in some ways, a culmination of a lot of his gangster pictures. And so everything is done exactly how it's supposed to have been done. Not that that was a 50-year-old or 40-year-old character that was stomping a guy like an 80-year-old right. because he actually was 80. No, that was that was done on, on purpose uh, because that's the kind of the tone of the movie. Well, that's just, that's just silly. That's just well, it, but, that, but it's a lot of that. That's, a, that's a, an extreme example of a take, but there's a lot of that going on. And I'm like, look, I, I, I get it. Like, we all love Scorsese. We all love these actors, and... I think there. Are, I I should amend what I said. I don't. I don't think I was bored during this movie, and I didn't. I certainly didn't hate this movie, but I did have a lot of problems with it, and I'm really frustrated because it it appears. And you, although you guys are agreeing with me, it seems to some point. So it appears that we are the only three that have anything critical to say about this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I mean, I feel like we've already talked about that. So let's just get into the de-aging thing. Like, uh, it's clear that the technology is not... Wait, I'm sorry. Before you do that, Jeremy, tell me what you thought of the movie. I feel like I don't quite know. Like Me? Yeah. Uh, I liked... I mean, overall, I really enjoyed it, but my problems with it are the same that Lee had. I just wasn't as hung up on him. And like I said, I really fell for the reflective part of this movie and the... The sort of the reflective cinematic chapter close. I mean, I've really that really sort of got to me. But I agree that there's motivations that seem off. Um, there's family dynamics that I, I would have done differently. Um, you know, so s- some stuff really worked, some stuff really didn't. I mean, I thought the actors were great too. I mean, from what I could tell, I thought they were really great. In particular. Um, Pesci and Pacino. Uh, yeah, those two I thought were great. De Niro, and, I, thank you. I thought, I, De, I thought De Niro was great. I love Pesci and really? De Niro. I thought, yeah, I thought he was great. Yeah, and I thought it was great that Scorsese made Pesci the the sort of calm one. Yeah, the one that, like he, that. even though he, uh, if he was made fun of, his temper never had to rise. Um, well, the I, I will say, I think that De Niro's performance was impacted the most by the de aging. I agree. Um, I think that let's, it was a lot of de-aging was done to him. And that let's take the, I mean, this is what I'll say about it. The, the, the first shot where we see it, where he's driving the truck, like was laughable. Like, yeah, but then it he looked starts like getting it, used to it. You just kind of got used to it. Yeah. Like it, it looked like a, like a cartoon head on top of a body. Um, but you did get used to it until every now and then 
you have a scene like that stomping scene or just a scene where he's walking or standing up or sitting. All of these guys, like, they look old. Their bodies don't look like they're the part of their head. And when you have actors like De Niro that use their whole body when they act, that's that's a detriment to the performance, which is why uh, I isn't think... That, isn't that what I said when I said I didn't like this whole de-aging thing? Yes. Well, yes. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I think De Niro was impacted the most. Um, I liked Pacino for sure. I mean, he was, he was totally like, <laughs> like top of the Pacino high, like, up, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, <sighs> but he makes that, he makes that work. No, he does that like, better than anybody. Of course. And, um, and there's a lot like of sympathy him. there. Like you felt a lot of sympathy for that guy who, you know, eh, kind of seemed... what I did. I it, no. like I felt I felt you didn't feel the sympathy no, for that. Because listen, because you... nobody De Niro's the only character that they try to even a little bit have an arc in this movie or change. Like Pacino as Jimmy Hoffman, maybe this is how he was. He just is the same. Like he never changed. He never like none of none of these relationships that he had made him change anything at all. He's supposed to get closer and closer and closer to Frank Sheeran, and he, he at first he's a bodyguard or or a or a hitman for him, and then he eventually becomes a confidant. But then he tells him that he's got to stop, you know, talking bad about the mob or or else basically, and he just ignores him. So he doesn't change at all. So there's no nothing to feel bad for with him i connected to their relationship and i believed it pesci was amazing i thought i forgot how good he was like that's the thing about him being gone for so long is you forget how good an actor he is yeah so i'm assuming that uh we all sort of agreed with the that the de-aging technology isn't quite there yet well I mean, will it yeah. be? When are they when are they going to de-age their bodies? That was the problem. You got used to the faces. I mean, the same way you'd get used to it if it was makeup. Yeah. Um, I read, I was reading something. Uh, I was most distracted by the eyes. Yeah, that was um, weird. Why'd they do that? Which are really difficult to replicate. Um, if you uh, think about... If you look at kind of the uncanny valley effect, like the eyes are very, very hard to digitally render. Um, and Scorsese says that he, uh, I mean, I can pull it up if we want to, but he was like, yeah, he went on some rant on some hard podcast about worrying about the eyes. Uh, um, and he, he said, uh, uh, now, uh, now it's real. Now I'm seeing it. Now certain shots need more work on the eyes, need more work on why these exactly the same eyes from the plate shot, but with the wrinkles and the things have changed, does it change the eyes at all? If that's the case, what was the eye? What was in it that the eyes that I liked? Was it the intensity? Was it gravitas? Was it, was it a threat? It's like, why well, are so you why, messing with their eyes? That's my question. Why are they messing with the eyes? And not only well, that, first but of all, like, I think Robert De Niro has different colored eyes than Sheeran does. Oh, right? who, I mean, like, gives who gives a gives shit? A shit? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. <laughs> He's also not, not uh, Irish. Well, um, that's not accurate. Yeah. Um, but if you look at some of the early, like the the shot of um of Pesci when he's changing the the timing belt on the uh, truck uh, when they meet at the Texaco <laughs> station. Yeah. Um, you see the same kind of weird effect with his eyes too, but they didn't change the color. They changed the color of De Niro's eyes and it became so distracting it was like it, yeah it or was he a, was wearing contacts which is I think was, equally yeah. distracting yeah it was like the same issue it was you know what had the same problem was Johnny Depp in Black Mass yeah well those were real contacts 
Right, but that was distracting too. He looked weird. So here, here's what I will say. Um, I, 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 my, my, my thing was, was this necessary? Like, I, I, like it, like, I guess the, 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 I guess the question is, like, it wasn't effective enough that we were totally sold, right? Like, if, if you guys pull up IMDb, there's, um, there's a still where he's wearing the cap, like when he's delivering, um, when he's delivering, yeah. uh. He's in the delivery van, and then there's the there's a screenshot from the World War Two flashback, and it's like it's not it looks okay, it's not like super effective. Like I don't think you look at that and say he's 20 years old or whatever he's supposed to be when he's in the army. Right. Um, he's supposed to be 20, you know, he's 25. Obviously, he's not 25. The rough 25. Yeah. yeah, and and um, so it's not effective enough that we're totally sold. But at the same time, it's, it's it's not doing enough. So it's like, well, why not just kind of like let them do it and 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 not have not have this technology? You know, it's like, um, you know, I, I I don't agree with you, Jeremy. Your argument on the Alien podcast, where like it, I don't think it should have been played by other people. I don't think that would have worked. Um, but I see why, why not- they had to do it in this case because of. Um- the amount but, of timeline switches. Well, or they why they why they wanted to do it. Yeah, but I mean, did, did you guys think they looked that different? Like it seems like no, they even makeup worked. could have could have worked. So, did you uh, ch- did either of you listen to the DGA interview with Scorsese and Spike no. Lee on this movie? No. So first of all, what a fucking waste of an interview because they just talked about pointless shit. But in the couple of moments where they did bring some things up. Scorsese mentioned that even eight years ago, they could have made this movie without the technology because they were young enough where the makeup would have been fine, would have worked fine. Yeah. Um, and so there's that argument. And then there's the piece about the, like, the part of what I wanted to ask you, the second topic I wanted to have was, was and we can get into it a little bit more later if we have time, but it was, had a, a little bit to do with just kind of the idea of, you know, movies that directors or actors just like really want to make. And it takes a real long time for it to get to that point, whether it's funding or so on and so forth. And the Irishman was that. I mean, listening to Scorsese talk, he had read this book, um, I want to say around the time he was doing Casino. So that was what, 93 or 94 or something like that. Um, so I don't think so. I don't I think the book was out by then. Well, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, whatever it was. Yeah, it was the book it, was published in 2004. Oh, so maybe it was The Departed then. Um, either way, it's been a long time since he's kind of had this in mind. And Scorsese, I guess, gave him the book and talked to him about it and was clearly interested in doing it. Um, I mean, sorry, De Niro gave Scorsese the book. And so all this time goes by and these guys are getting older and older. And the prospect of doing this movie is becoming less and less a, a, a realistic. So, you know, this is an example of like, okay, they got this technology. These are the guys that want to make this movie. It's a passion project of sorts. So they're going to do it. This is the last possible chance they have. So if this, if, if Scorsese said, sorry, Bob, you're too old. I'm going to make this movie with somebody else. We might have been able to avoid some of these issues with the technology. But, you know, I do, I, I think the, the, problem they ran into with like you said like they could have gotten away with with makeup and stuff is you know there's so many close-ups he's in so many scenes but my counter to that would have been okay make this take place in a shorter span of time you right. know and 
even if it's the same movie, like it doesn't really need to span all these decades. You can cram, you know, five decades, three decades, whatever it is worth of uh, things into one decade, you know, like do that. Well, I mean, it's not the the only movie to span decades, too. Um, I mean, of course, I can't think of one off the top of my head. I was hoping I would while, while I was saying that sentence. But I feel like there has been movies that have spanned decades with with either switching actors or just doing makeup. Right. But that's done where you can, you can split the difference. So De Niro's 80 years old. So right. he has to go 30 years backwards or whatever. Where if it he's was not really eighty years old, is he? De Niro, he's, he's like seventy six or seventy seven. Yeah, he's seventy six. Right? Yeah. yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, so if it was DiCaprio, let's just use him as an example, who's 40, 40 something. I don't know how old he is, but well, that there's a great example right there, isn't Jay Edgar one of those movies that? Spans yeah, so that's a good and, example. And you he, see him like no. the old person makeup has been done forever. They can do that, and you can just make him look a little bit younger in a scene earlier. So. The fact that De Niro was, you know, the one that needed to be in this movie and because it was a passion project, I think hurt that bit. And look, you could have cast somebody else instead of Pesci and I guess, but I mean, but, but the, so much of his performance, or at least what I, what like I remember of the performance and, and the moving elements for me were when he was older than he is now, you know, like the, that last half hour. And then the, I think, yeah, I when, mean, I think they when still he's not did some, de-aged. Yeah, but I, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like he, like so, he, you know, like would you could you, we could be sit, sitting here arguing whether, you know, Leo had the chops to to pull that off, or if the sure. makeup or visual effects or whatever it was were good enough to, you know, really deliver that meaningful performance. I mean, I think I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I, I just, I, I guess. Well, Chapin, where, so the sense I'm getting is you kind of lie between Lee and I, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Done that before. <laughs> um, no, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm, um, I, I found the film very dense. Um, and not that it was difficult to follow, but like it was just a lot to take in, you know, and it's, and it was very enjoyable. I was not at all bored, but it's like, you know, it's like eating like a dense cake, you know, it's like, this is, this tastes great, but it's a lot to take in at one time, you know? And like, I think I will like totally admit that. I think I will like this movie better the next time I see it. Uh, I hope that I do. I was actually a little bit frustrated leaving for that reason, knowing we were going to podcast about it because I felt like my tune is going to change. Yeah, totally. And I hope it's for the better. I really do because there is a lot of things I like about this movie, but ultimately I I just don't, I I was so disappointed and, and look, I, I I hate to do this, but it is in part because this movie is getting not, not universal acclaim, like, like perfection acclaim, like, this movie doesn't have yeah. a score lower than like 70 on Metacritic. Like usually you see an outlier or two and it still can have such a high score no, on, right. on Metacritic. Yeah. But, and that's, that's ridiculous. Like, come on everybody. Like I think there's a little bit of putting Scorsese on a pedestal here. And I, I'm, I, I would love to be able to do that. I love Scorsese, but I'm trying to be honest with myself and I didn't enjoy this movie that much. It's way too fucking long. Also, 
did not need to be three and a half hours long. I guess so yeah, that's I, my point. So like I, I enjoyed the film, but I, I do think that like it was just so dense. It was so hard. Like it kind of impacted, I feel like, the emotional part of the film a little bit just because you just like you have like I'm like wait okay wait hey wait, wait how yeah, are they where involved? Are we, yeah. what, what did they have to do with Kennedy being shot what yeah, yeah, you yeah. know like Nixon what's happening um and and you know like like I mean again you're right like com- comparing it to Goodfellas I don't know maybe, maybe that's not the it's not fair but like it's a similar time it's kind of a similarly structured film and you you you're and, and it's one that I've seen a lot more. So maybe maybe yeah. it felt that dense when I, when I first saw it. I don't remember, but but you you're so in tune with the emotions of that movie. And I and I was with the Irishman. Like it wasn't that that he wasn't doing the right things to make you feel that way. But you're just trying to kind of keep up with everything that's happening, and so much is happening and happening for such a long time that it it, it made it a little bit difficult to connect with, at least on the first viewing. I, I agree with both of you guys. I I think you're totally right, Chabin. There probably was too many strands going on, and and it's you know uh, just moving from one scene to the next to the next. You're trying to sort of catch your breath, and I guess that's maybe why it wasn't ever boring yeah. for sure. Because you're trying you're trying to see where are we now? How does this all relate to everything else? Um, it's not a super. That all being said, it's not a super plot driven movie. There's not much. Uh, it, it, it's not a plot you need to follow in order to put everything together. It's just more of a, okay, I just need to piece this so I know where I am right. at this given moment. Right. Uh, um, so I, I agree, and I agree with you, Lee, um, but I also did find a lot of it effective to the point um, where I sort of I sort of fell for it. So... Um, especially, like I said, the relationships between, you know, De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci, which is really the core of this movie. Those three guys, if you want to take everything else out, and I, and that worked for me. That plus the the understanding of you know the mortality of this movie and the mortality of Scorsese as a director directing gangster films, all that really worked for me. Um, so. Yeah, I think, I think seeing it again would either be helpful or it might push me to a little bit more towards Lee. I'm not sure, but that's how I felt get, walking out of this. What I did like about this movie was, or I should say, uh, where I enjoyed it was sort of just on like a scene by scene basis, um, which is interesting because, uh, you know, you you kind of directed me to all these still shots on, on IMDb, Chapin, and I'm flipping through them, and so pretty much every scene is just them sitting and talking but some so many of those scenes were really great i mean the scene with with uh tony pro where he wears the shorts to a meeting was hilarious yeah, yeah. um the hit on on gallo was great um you know even like his the short little scenes with harvey Keitel when he's when he uh you know tells him that he owns the place he was going to blow up that was a great scene and I think that's evidence of a director who knows how to shoot a simple conversation and actors that are good and and so on that level I liked it but you know I think you said it well Chapin like it's just trying to put all of those scenes together and sum up this movie is a daunting task. Well I also think it's interesting during this whole conversation we really haven't talked at all 
about Scorsese as a director in this. Um, and it's probably because he is still here at the top of his game. I mean, there's, there's, there was never moments where like I question the motivation behind the camera. You know, the only time I think I did that was the very opening shot where you yeah, could feel shot. that tracking shot where you 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 felt yeah. Scorsese's and he presence. had some music playing and I was yeah. so jazzed. I was like, here we go. This I can watch this for three and a half hours and then it just all died. Well, I would, you know, I disagree. But I think I think Scorsese's still working at the top of his game. I mean, I think he is, I mean, as far as direction, lighting, cinematography, all that stuff, he's, he, this movie is, is really good. Yeah. Would you, would you guys say that this, I, I feel like this in many ways, um, not necessarily in terms of quality or anything having to do with that, but draws most comparisons to the aviator than anything else. Sort of I need to see bloated way again. of telling a really long story about, you know, a interesting <laughs> character. I know. I don't just mean that in a, in a negative uh, you're, way. You're like, saying it negatively. I know I am, but, it also like if think about how many things are involved in the aviator like his his dealings with with congress and his dealings with the movie industry and his dealings with uh competitive uh, competitors in the uh aviation industry like it's all of these moving pieces that are trying to get covered in this long but really not long enough to cover all of that information type of movie and the irishman is a little bit of the same thing i mean you're you're covering these issues with the Kennedys and Bay of Pigs and Nixon and the mob. And it's just a lot of historical pieces surrounding these characters' lives that's relevant, but not always all that cinematic or can be cinematic on a scene-by-scene basis, like I said, but it's tough to put together as a cohesive piece. Yeah, I mean, I see where you're going with a little bit. Um, I think the... I feel like uh, Scorsese's a little more sure-footed with this material than he was with the Aviator. I, I never felt that, like, in a weird way, that his heart was in the Aviator as much as it is in in this film. Sure. Yeah. Um, I also think that like there's a sort of a slickness, a polishness, a polish um, to the Aviator that isn't here, and I'm glad it isn't um, because I feel like you know we, there's enough sort of visual effects issues already. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you guys, can I, can we change topics really quickly um, to what I was hoping to talk about? Or is there anything else you guys wanted to share about the film? Uh, there is, I mean, I, I do want to get you guys' opinion about my, basically my opening question. Uh, if it ever like occurred to you or you you felt that either watching this or, or after leaving um, that sort of s- sense of loss when it comes to Scorsese I had more of a. Movies. I had more of a. I hope this isn't his last one. <laughs> well, I don't. I'm not talking about his last movie of all. I'm. He'll make other movies. No, of but course, I don't but think he'll it ever. It does touch seem like he's not going to do this again. Yeah. Again. I again. I didn't really have that feeling, but I'm going to be disappointed. I think. Oh well, I don't know. I mean, I. In my opinion, is he's never going to make a gangster movie as good as Goodfellas, so it doesn't really matter. If I liked this one better, or I know, not. but there's like, always the hope. I mean, that's always out there. No, that's true. Yeah, that's no, there was. Go, this, it's why we go to the movies. It's certain. No, I had that experience with Parasite last week. Like that was a, that was 
<laughs> invigorating for me. I was just like, I, I can see a new movie that I love. Like, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I this the movie definitely has a sense of that to it. Um, and I agree. I, I think this it all signs point in the direction that he's probably done with this genre. But I, I still kind of come back to like. I do feel like he sort of forced this one in there a little bit with, I, I really think if this movie was made 10 years ago, it would have been better, even if it was the same movie, because things would have been less distracting. I feel like you, it would have been, you know, De Niro would have been the right age to play this role. And I, I was, you got used to the de-aging, but I was really distracted by the their bodies and the way they moved throughout this movie. And it bothered me. And I think that really <laughs> did hurt the movie distracted by their bodies yeah there's an interesting thing with with scorsese in the sense sense that like he's got these projects um do you guys have that book um scorsese on scorsese uh yeah um and i was i just opened that in after seeing the irishman and read a couple passages and um you know he talks about like how casino um, and another, I think Cape Fear were financial obligations. Age of Innocence was was a passion project. We know that Silence was a passion pro- passion project, but you know because he's Scorsese gangs. and everybody's really interested. Gangs was a passion project, but like you know Wolf of Wall Street, um, uh, maybe The Irishman, maybe Shutter Island, like were projects that were brought to him and. Um, you know, maybe he didn't develop them or, you know, they're just like a, maybe there's a little bit of a lack of a, of passion for those films, but they always seem to be quite good, <laughs> you know, like, um, I, it's, it's hard to sort of like, like, and then the films that are long gestating and that he sometimes writes or that he, um, that are, you know, kind of expensive, like Hugo, Maybe I mean I loved Hugo, but maybe just aren't quite as dynamic as some of his films. Like maybe he feels maybe he's sort of weighed down by the by finally being able to make Silence. You know, like does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think to me this fell more into the category of of the passion project, and I and we mm-hmm. sort of joked before that like. All his passion passion projects suck, but and that's a exaggeration. But like you look at a movie like Gangs and Silence and these movies that like he works so hard over for so many years to finally get made, and then they turn out the way that they do. And you know this movie is better than both Gangs and Silence for sure. But I felt a little bit of the same way. I was like, is there a little bit too much of Scorsese wanting this movie to be made so badly that he's going to do it at all costs? And you know you end up with something that isn't quite as good as we've seen from him. Right. All right, Chapin, what's, uh, what, what do you got? The okay. Next? We'll probably have to do this as a, um, quick fix, but that's okay. Um, okay guys. So I know I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, we don't always talk about the economics of filmmaking here. Um, but I think it's interesting, especially when it comes to the Irishman. I think we need to discuss the way the film industry is changing a little bit. Um, and we did this a little bit last year with Roma, which I think was significant, right? Like it was it was Netflix's first real push to try to win an Oscar. Um, it was a it was sort of a revered filmmaker who wanted to you know you know for the first time working with Netflix. But of course, 
The Irishman is a film that was, I think, mostly financed by Netflix. Is that do you, do you guys know any details about that? I think so. Um, uh, but it's going to be coming out, of course, on Netflix um, in a couple weeks. Here, everybody will be able to see it. Which one? Um, the Irishman. Ne- the Irishman. Right. 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 Sorry. Yeah. And we've been talking about. Yeah. yeah. No. 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 Because I, I just got confused about when it was when he was saying it was coming out. You, but you mean it's coming out on Netflix? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Right. So it's in it's in theaters now for a couple weeks, probably to I think both satisfy Scorsese, but also to you know qualify it for. Um, Oscars, etc. And there's a bunch of controversy, as we know, around um, Roma last year. Spielberg came out and, you know, confessed that he, or <laughs> revealed that he voted for Green Book for Best Picture over Roma because he didn't want to vote for a film that was on Netflix to preserve the theatrical experience. This is an ongoing conversation, but <laughs> I do think... Could have voted for any other of those movies. I know, right? <laughs> um, this is an ongoing experience and conversation, but I think it's significant that you know, our arguably our favorite director, probably the most influential filmmaker on all of us, um, is is making a movie with Netflix, and it's and I think what's particularly interesting about The Irishman is that I don't think this movie would have been made um, if it weren't for Netflix. And here's yeah, why: I think I, he had to. I think he had to, and I think it got to a point where. This de-aging, I didn't really quite make the connection, but the, the what really drove this budget, at the end of the day, the reported budget is $160 million. What eventually drove that budget up was was all this de-aging and all the technology that it was that went into to doing this, and um, it was clearly important to Scorsese that you know this this be done right, and it was it's been in post for you know 18 months and. Um, that obviously drove the cost up significantly. It was a sort of a very, very long shoot as well. Um, and 108 days. Yeah. I, I my, So, Mike, I guess I don't really have a quite, a, quite a question for you, but I, I do think this is something interesting, like the idea that this film may never have been made if it weren't for Netflix. And now, you know, as I, I think we, I brought this up when I discussed Roma, but, like, we've got this, this new economics of filmmaking where, you know, we won't know how much money the the Irishman made at the box office. There's there's a whole new industry behind these these streaming services where the goal isn't just for one individual movie to make X amount of money. And so, you know, when Paramount was looking at making the Irishman, you know, three or four years ago and they were weighing, you know, whether they thought this movie was going to make any money or not, you know, they had to look at the $150 million budget at that time and say, is this really going to make, you know, $600 million worldwide? I don't think so. And they, well, they dropped bombed out. on silence, right? They- yeah. And they, they lost a lot of money on silence and, and, and a bunch of other things. But now you've got a, a service like Netflix or even uh, moreover, like a service like, um, the Amazon Prime who makes a lot of movies where you know not only do their movies don't necessarily need to make money but the service doesn't even have to make money necessarily for it to be a success to them like Amazon just wants you to sign up so you order stuff on Prime you know it's like they, there's a whole different structure to what constitutes a a financial hit and I think that's something we need to talk about well, I guess the question then becomes, is that good or bad for movies? Exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, it, it got this movie made, much to Lee's chagrin, evidently. It got this movie made. No, yeah. that's a good thing. No, it's definitely a good thing. And I think that the, I think that people need to stop treating it like it's not. Because, and, cause look, like I, I've always looked at, yes, it's a different business model, 
but I've always looked at these movies that are produced by Netflix and by Amazon as movie studios. Like we we like we judge Netflix movies as like wow, Netflix made another shitty movie. Oh, Netflix has got a movie that's going to win an Oscar. We haven't done that ever until now. We used to we never used to say, "Well, Universal won a won a uh, won an Oscar. Universal uh, made another shitty uh, movie, and Warner Brothers keeps making. Well, I guess we do now. They keep making shitty uh, um, DC movies. But like the the recognition of the studio thing has changed so much with not only Netflix and Amazon and so on, but Disney too. And so I think like if we can just if if people just start treating it like another studio that's taking a different business approach, then they can stop worrying so much about how they're releasing their movies and how they're making their money and just keep, you know, making their money the way that they think they're making. I mean, a lot of studios are following suit. Disney now has a streaming service. So like they're, they're releasing a, a, a new movie on that streaming service. So some are following suit. Some are trying to continue to do it the old way, but like, yeah, it doesn't seem like something that should be causing such controversy to me. The Oscar piece is another issue, which I gotta go back and forth on because, I one on one hand I think, you know, get over it. It's a movie; it should be allowed to win an Oscar if it just premieres on the streaming service. Right. But that is ultimate. If that happens, then that could eventually be very detrimental to theaters. If you know they do need to hang on to as much as they have as more and more, you know, studios go to the streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think there's two separate issues here, and they're kind of at odds with each other. I think there's the theatrical issue where it, where if you ask any filmmaker, they're going to want you to see the movie the way it was intended in the theater. That's what they made it for. But well, there's did also they? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, if you know um, your but, movie's going to be seen on Netflix, do you do you change the way you make the movie? Yeah, but do you think do you think that you know, Scorsese never intended this to ever set foot in a theater. I mean, I think he always, in the back of his mind, wanted the Irishman to at least play in theaters. I'd also argue with you that, 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 I mean, if you're going to look at the way, like, let's say you look at the way he made Goodfellas and look at the way he made The Irishman, you know, home video is, like, extraordinary compared to what it was in 1990. And, um you know, the technology now and, and it look everything looks so great. Like, and, and, and people, I mean, most people will see the Irishman and, and, and for that matter, most people will see almost any movie and it's going to live on in home video and in, in, in a home setting. And so, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Jeremy. I love the theatrical experience as much as anybody, but I think I do the best film watching at home. And, I think, you know, that's I, where people are going to see it. So why, you know, I don't know. The distinction I, agree. I'm not I guess sure I understand. I want Netflix I guess my, to release the numbers on how many people watch like a third of the Irishman and never finish it. I don't, yeah, they'll never release numbers for some reason because it doesn't do them any good, I guess. It does sometimes, uh, yeah. But, I mean, they can uh, just make up whatever they want. But the the thing the, but ultimately the fact that you can make great movies and the the amount of money they make has no significance. Yeah. If they can spend money on movies and the amount of money has no significance is a great thing for film. I That's mean, what I'm really interested in drilling down on. Yeah, because like 
you 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 have all these filmmakers that literally they don't have to they can do what they want and they don't have to answer to their box office numbers then that's wonderful yeah that's that, huge that's huge i don't know how and it's think, sustainable for a netflix amazon i get amazon makes sense like you sign up for prime to watch a, a movie that streams on prime and then order six hundred dollars worth of stuff on online um but netflix has one purpose and it's ten dollars a month like how how where are they getting this money well it's and how their, are they how is it sustainable yeah I mean, they are. It's it's kind of like a, a pyramid scheme in a way. They're like selling debt or shares, or just they're, they're doing something that's like, you know, they're 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 spending a lot of money on on content. And um, I mean, yeah, like I I think I, I I agree with you guys. I I admire I admire this pursuit of the Oscar. I think that's I think that's really smart. And it's too bad that Roma didn't win, and you know, maybe the Irishman will win. I don't know, but. Um, you know, they're seeking legitimacy and I think that's great, but uh, you got to wonder like, is <laughs> the $160 million that they spend on the Irishman, is that like, is that as valuable to them as like, <laughs> what, like three seasons of, of, um, of, uh, you know, a, a, a hit TV show of, um, House you know, stranger things, you know, like probably or not. even honestly, it's probably not as valuable to them as like three seasons of, the American office that is streaming on there that they didn't even produce the content. Right. No, that's I mean, I bet, people, we know I bet where they gets, can watch that. Yeah. I, I bet that gets watched way more than any of their original. Programs. Well, and there's concern cause they're, they're losing all of the, like they're losing that show. They're losing all those NBC shows eventually. And that's like, there's that's generated concern about losing subscribers because of that. So I think you're totally right. Like, I mean, the Irishman will, ultimately on Netflix, just in terms of the average Netflix subscriber, will come and go. I mean, I don't I, I don't think there's a large majority of the Netflix subscribing population that are going to rewatch The Irishman. Um, in fact, I was sort of half serious when I said, I bet there's a huge population of people who won't even finish it because that's not because it's not good or that they don't like it. It's that it's three and a half hours long and they're probably not going to watch it in one sitting. And well, they're definitely not going to watch anyone. Right. And it's not really the type of movie, at least I don't think, I mean, we'll see when I kind of have the watch it at home experience. It doesn't strike me as a movie that pulls me, pulls you right back in and you can't wait to get back and watch the rest of it. And again, this is why I, I sort of initially talked about the intended, uh, viewing experience because do you think we wouldn't have paused the movie if it was in we our totally houses? We totally would. I was. We, we real, would. Have. You guys know I was re- adamant about seeing this in the theater for a couple of reasons. I wanted us to be able to review it before it was on Netflix, but I wanted to see it in the theater. I knew I wouldn't be able to watch it all in one sitting. And not only that, but like I would, you know, you're looking at your phone and you're like, it's just it's all sorts of distractions. And with a movie like this, I wanted to give it my full attention. Uh, and, not and that and, I don't for every movie, but yeah. What I'll say is that like I, I, I rue the loss of the theatrical experience, and I, I think that, you know, it's nice that we're able to get this with, um, you know, with Scorsese, like these filmmakers who are insisting on on the, you know, Netflix is, you know, granting them the theatrical release, which I think is great, and we should say that you know Netflix four walls the, 
the theaters, which means they aren't they don't participate like they just rent out the movie theaters. They don't um they did what, what we did for our movie, which was that, you know, you just pay to rent the theater and they get they collect all the box off. It's not not a normal um theatrical experience. And so things are very very different for them but and if that goes away i'll miss it like if we get to a point where you know the most interesting films are not released in theaters that's going to be sad um i i love that they're protected from the box office numbers though right like you can't you can't really have a like how depressing would that be if i i feel like it would even impact like roma's box office numbers if that movie well look at who look who we've lost like you know, you could argue he's done a bit of it to himself, but we've lost Michael Mann because of box office numbers. You yeah. know, if PTA is in jeopardy, although he seems to still be trucking along. I mean, yeah, Tarantino even has paying for his movies. Yeah, uh, Tarantino's, you know, still has a hard time getting movies made, and so yeah, maybe they'll all just go to Netflix. That's fine. I'm fine with it because honestly, the I the Netflix movies aren't exempt from winning fixies and i don't care about the oscars anymore so and neither since, do most people to be honest since they green, care since more green about book the fixies that's what yeah. people are talking about nowadays that's what i've heard a lot of rumbling about yeah um so yeah so it doesn't really matter ultimately all right nice all right do you want me to wrap her up wrap her up well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, please, uh, you know, give us a review. Like us on Instagram. Um, you could email us. Just say hi. Tell us what you thought of this. Feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. And, and we're getting into fixie time. It's fixie territory. So we're going to be trying season, to... Baby. Fixie season. So we're going to try to be popping these out uh, more regularly and getting to the theater more regularly. I don't know what's in store next, but there's a full list of about... Ferrari, I think. I think that probably is going to be it. That's probably going to be it. But there's a list of about 20 movies that we want to get to. Um, So uh, until next time. Thank you. I'm staying... I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.